This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back, guys. It is Faith FM Breakfast Show. You are about to get, well, we are about to get into our encounter with God section. Before we do, we have another clue for our quiz because nobody's answered it yet. We did indeed. This one is getting a little bit, uh, a little bit raunchy again. This was the home of Rahab the prostitute. Okay. So Whereabouts did she come from? Where was she? Very, very famous ancestor of Jesus right there. Indeed. Um, a woman who found grace and her life was transformed. Although it's not, the, the reason we know her is not because of she was in this place. It's because of she left this place. Oh, well. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yep. Yes. Yep. So there we go. Kind of, you kind of, um, yeah, couldn't stay there. No. If you know what the answer is, though, give us a call at 1-800-324-843 or you can send us a text at 0491-064-669. And if you are the first person with the correct answer, we will be sending you a copy of Pillars of the Christian Faith by Danny Shelton and Jim Gilly. 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 I'm not good with pronunciation of names. I'm sorry. I like to think I'm all right. Here's how it's done. Pronounce it with confidence. Nobody's going to question you. <laughs> These are our listeners on Faith FM. We love them. They, they, they love us. They trust They're us not gonna to know say any. the right things. That's right. And say them the right way. Yes, anyway. indeed. Okay. Uh, let's get into our Bible study for today. Absolutely. We have a very, very interesting study today about the law of Corbin. Uh, so let's go over to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 7. seven. We're going to read a bit of a passage here from the book of Mark. And this week we're looking at the role of theology and what it is that actually affects theology. Yes. So we're going to look at a list, a, a list of uh, a number of different um, aspects here that um, you know affect or impact our interpretation. So things like tradition, experience. Yep. Uh, so life experience, culture, reason, and of course the Bible itself. Today we're talking about tradition. Yes. Tradition cops a lot of flack amongst Protestant churches. Uh, not very many Protestant churches in their world today. Most of them have been taken over by evangelical churches. Uh, very close link, of course, between those two things. But the word Protestant means to protest against the traditions of the Catholic Church. Yes. So that's the origin of the word Protestant is that they are protesting against Traditions. I find a lot of things today have a lot to do with the Catholic Church, whether yeah, it's yeah. whether it's in favour of it or against it. More often than not, you can tie something to the to the Catholic Church. Okay, well, it is the uh, the world's largest Christian dom- denomination. It's been around for a very very long time period. Donkeys, and it has exerted incredible influence and power down through history. Indeed, uh, more so than any other. Uh, religious institution on earth. And so, yes, that's going to uh, mean that it's going to be kind of front and center to many of our discussions. And so, um, of course, you've got this almost uh, amongst Protestant churches, because the word protest means to protest against the traditions, you have this almost knee-jerk reaction of like, we don't have traditions, we don't Mm. believe in tradition. Yeah. Whereas the reality is that every church and... Every Christian has traditions. Yes. 
The important thing for us as Christians is to be able to define what is tradition and what is scripture. Now, of course, if you go to the flip side of that coin, you're going to have a lot of discussion about tradition in the uh, Roman Catholic Church or any of the Catholic churches for that matter. Um, your Greek, uh, Russian, they all have very, very uh, heavy with traditions and they love their traditions in those, in those particular faiths. And you know, place a tremendous amount of importance on those traditions, and so we've got to ask ourselves the the, the question: Is that a problem? Um, and I'm going to begin by saying, no, of course not. There's no problem with having traditions. No, pl- no problem with placing a lot of importance on those traditions, provided that I'm going to give this proviso: those traditions do not go against the Word of God. I see. Because when the tradition goes against the word of God, you have a problem. You have now a choice to make. Am I going to go with, you know, the traditions that I've grown up with, you know, with a kid that my parents kept, that my grandparents kept, that, you know, we can trace back for the last, you know, thousand years of generations of my family have kept these traditions? Or do I follow the word of God? Mm, Quite a significant conflict of interest. It does. It does. And so it does not matter what church you are in. What faith group you are in, you are going to have traditions. Mm. And it doesn't matter what faith that you are in, you are going to have to ask yourself this question. I'm going to be as bold as to say that within every faith, every denomination, there are at least large sectors that at times place tradition above Scripture. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? You can. When when does ritual when, when does um tradition become a a, a lifestyle or a or a, a, a routine and when does routine become a ritual sort of thing? And when I mean ritual, I mean like when I when I um do the ironing, I iron it this I iron shirts the same way every single time without fail. It's like a ritual for me. I do it without fail exactly the same. I do that when I iron, when I used to iron shirts. I used to iron six shirts every day for school because I've got a bunch of brothers at home and I've got all got to do their shirts. Whereas every week I go to church once a week, mm-hmm. and then you know once a month I might do something else, and then once a year I've got these these some of the things that we might be talking about today. You know, like Christmas and Easter stuff stuff like that. Sure. So when does when does something change from a, a, a tradition to a routine and then to a I don't know if ritual is the right word, but you know something that you do without thinking. Sure, a, a ritual is a word that we usually, that we typically um, use in the context of worship practices. Yeah, so probably not now, the right now, word. Now, now we can use it outside of that, but in a spiritual context, or we're using it in the context of worship. Um, a routine is, yeah, that's how you iron your shirts. Okay, you know, and and clean your teeth or whatever it might be. You, yeah. your routine. That's your morning routine, your daily routine, your evening routine, whatever. So that's your routine. Your ritual is something that has more than just practical importance to you. So your ritual is something that actually actually has meaning to you, and within a religious context, it's going to have religious meaning. And so, so maybe I got ritual and routine. So going to yeah, church well, is more of a ritual. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. However, I would say that going to church is um, a biblical mandate. We have a biblical mandate to go to church. So that takes it out of the realm of being a ritual. I don't think church should feel like a mandate, though. It shouldn't feel like something that you have to do. No, for sure. But um, 
it is something that you know the Bible is very very speaks very very strongly about doing once a week. Yes, That's what you do. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so you know, I'll be the first to put up my hand and say, yes, there are times when I don't go to worship, don't go to church, but that is not the norm. Yeah, that is uh, far from the norm. Going to church is something that the Bible, you know, for a Christian, it kind of makes it. You know, and, I, and I, I forever I meet these people like, oh, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. That's true. I've just never seen anyone do it successfully. Yeah. You know, I've seen lots of people claim they do it successfully. And I've certainly read about people who have done it successfully. But it's incredibly rare. It's a little bit like, you know, the old illustration of, uh, and this is one of the reasons why the Bible makes this so important um, and places so much em- emphasis on, you know, weekly, regular church attendance. Yep. Is that um, you know you take a, a, a you, you take your fire you got to, say you've got a campfire and you take one coal out of that fire and put it by itself it's going to go out very quickly and exactly the same things happens to Christians which is why you know from the times of Moses God has commanded us to gather together for you know weekly worship now sometimes I you know I'll gather together. Um, outside of a church building for weekly worship, certainly been doing that since the pandemic has been on. Um, still gathering together, you know, via Zoom and so forth. Uh, sometimes I will gather together outside of the church building, so I might gather together with people in the bush. And on the very odd occasion, and it is so odd that I don't remember when I last did it, but for some people it has more meaning than others. I will gather together with just God and myself, you know, in the bush. But that is a rarity. Yeah. It's the exception and not the rule. And this is how we need to look at these things. Um, And so what we're really looking at is not so much things that are biblically mandated, such as going to church. Uh, We are looking at things that have become a tradition or a ritual that, or we're comparing them with things that have become a tradition or a ritual that are not biblically mandated. Okay. And we're in, in, our, in our next section, we're going to look at an example of that um, in the Bible where the Bible speaks about the law of Corban. And we're going to look at what that actually involved and how tradition was actually used to nullify the Bible. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So let's go to Mark. Mark. Now, the reason why I do ask that is because I overthink things, and I'm sure there are some listeners that overthink things as well. And I think it's always good to just get clarification on on where tradition is and where where tradition changes. And like tradition for me, it's something that is a tradition is every year at Christmas time. Like Christmas is a world a worldwide tradition. Yes, but every family's got their own personal traditions. Yep. And so, but where. Again, my own family, when I was at home, every night we had worship together. So, you know, it, tradition is, you know, is it daily or, or weekly, monthly? That's sort of what I was getting. And, and for what I gathered from you, it's it, it's it's the, a bit more rare than, than your common thing from what I've picked up, if I'm picking up what I'm meant to be picking up. It happens on a, on a like an annual, sometimes multiple times through the I'd let's go Mark chapter 7 <laughs> Mark chapter let's go seven. Mark chapter 7 start in verse 1 absolutely alright before I yeah anyway uh, I'm sorry I get caught up in my words sometimes anyway one day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus they noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating 
So they were talking about oh, ritual. Oh, no. Okay, let's stop here for a moment. So Jesus coming back to doing the ironing. Jesus' disciples weren't <laughs> washing their hands before they ate. In the age of coronavirus, could there be an, any greater sin than that? Can I just come back to doing the ironing? Yes. Um, they noticed some of they noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual, mm-hmm. the ritual mm-hmm. of hand washing before mm-hmm. eating. Mm-hmm. So, how is the ritual of hand washing in this context? Is mm-hmm. ritual uh, uh, sort of a spiritual thing, or is it more of a practical thing? What would your guess be? My guess would be practical. Ah, uh, you would be wrong. Really? You would indeed. Okay, so let's keep reading. Let's find out. Okay, let's that, find out. I'm, I'm, now, now, I've, now I've got him curious. He's, how is like, how is washing your hands? Not, uh, how is it different to doing the ironing? Anyway, okay. right. uh, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And verse 5. And verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our aged old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. I'm going to be honest. This does, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> Fantastic. How how is washing cups and kettles tradi- a traditional ritual? That's a ritual. The Bible is speaking about a. ritual. How is it here. different to doing the dishes? Okay, let me share with you how it is doing different from doing the dishes. Okay, this was the ritual that was required by the Pharisees. Yes, before you eat. Yes, you were to take the amount of water found in that you could put in half of an eggshell. Okay. That's very specific. That's right. A very specific amount of water. You were to pour it onto your left wrist. Again, specific. Right. The water would then, you would, you would hold your wrist in such a way that the water would run down from your wrist and into the cup of your hand. Right? Yes. Then you would open your fingers, let that few drops that were left pour down onto your right wrist and enter the cup of your right hand before you let it pour on the ground. Okay, so you follow the you follow the procedure. Yep. You had to do that before you could eat. Right? Now, if you were in an environment uh-huh. where there was no water. Yes. Uh, which, you know, happens from time to time. It's like, uh, where, uh, no, there's no water, and particularly in those days when, you know, plumbing wasn't readily available, you were still allowed to eat. However, before you could eat, you had to um, go through the motions. In other words, do the airplay version of um, ritually washing your hands and then you were clean to eat. Okay, so the important thing here is that this had nothing to do with hygiene. It was completely irrelevant to hygiene. This was a religious ritual that the Jews for you know, a couple of centuries before the time of Christ, had sort of incorporated into their religious requirements. So does that mean that the Jews of today would be washing their hands twice, once for a ritual and once for practicality? Okay, if you're going to follow the tradition of the elders as mentioned here, yes. and you're going to be hygienic, yes, you'd wash your hands twice. Okay, they couldn't just put some you know, alcohol, and here's the, and here, alcohol and here's the, sanitizer in their, as, into their eggshell? Uh, well, I, that you would have to ask an Orthodox Jew. Okay. Um, but here's the important thing. In those days, you could wash your hands hygienically, as in, you know, 
get your hands in the in the bowl of water, give them a good scrub as we do. Yeah. And you would be considered to be eating with unclean hands if you had not followed the ritual. Right. Okay, so you've got Ten Commandments in the Bible. We do indeed. Um, you've got a bunch of other laws that sort of expand on those Ten Commandments we in the Bible. We do indeed. And then aside from that, you have over 600 laws that were created by the um, Jewish elders that you don't find in the Bible. Yes. And this is one of those 600 laws. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, now these have very special, you know, ritual and spiritual significance, uh, you know, to Jewish people, particularly, you know, Orthodox Jewish people of the time. And Jesus didn't do that because he was all about the Word of God. Yeah. And, you know, for Jesus' perspective, this was impractical, it was um, not necessary. And so, yeah, definitely hygienic washing of hands, uh, but not this kind of meaningless ritual. Yes. Um, that was, you know, just simply not in the Bible. Okay, is it starting to make a little bit more sense now? Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm, yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, that's good because you know you read this passage right here during the middle of a coronavirus pandemic, and everybody's like, "What on earth is going on here?" They would be spreading so much disease. The one thing that it. still doesn't quite make sense, okay. is when we get to the dishes. Yes, to the kettles and yes. the cups and pitchers. Yes, how is the, Where's the ritual come from? That okay? So they had a similar ritual with the cups and pitchers, with the eggshell as well. Yep. You're not going to make a pot clean with that amount of water. No. Uh, but you can sprinkle it, and it's like, well, it's been sprinkled there. It's spiritually and clean. It's spiritually clean. And so this is actually this is a tradition that has worked its way in. Well, it had it worked its way into uh, Judaism from paganism. I see. And then it worked its way into Christianity, not from Judaism, interestingly, but from paganism. And so there are certain traditions within Christianity where they will sprinkle, sprinkle water on certain things to purify those things. Uh, or people. Yeah. Um, and so they'll sprinkle water on people and... and I've and seen often, that, a, you know, christenings and, and funerals and weddings and whatnot. You, that's right. And you can often, you walk into a, a church and there's a large um, um, seashell at the church door with water Someone and people... You know, you with water. People dip their fingers in it and do the sign of the cross, you know, all of this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, this has come across from paganism. In fact, that same um, seashell that you find at the front door of so many churches was traditionally what was what was what you would find at the entrance to the temple of Mithra, yeah. which is a Persian god. And in that worship, you would find um, the, the, the high priest would often carry within the temple a statue of you know the mother and child Ishtar and Tammuz and uh, and while and while he was going around and carry that statue and sprinkle the worshippers with holy water right so the use of holy water in christianity has come across as it did in 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 judaism as as has worked away its cross from you know pagan traditions and kind of been you know adapted um, for christian use Oh, it is okay. Yeah, it's it's starting to, it's starting to make a bit more sense now. It does. Even the yeah, kettles, okay. it's all coming together. Yeah. So this it's had nothing to do with together. hygiene. This was not about no. hygiene. Jesus was all about hygiene. Yes. And the Bible is all about hygiene. The Bible has a lot to say about hygiene. The Bible has a lot to say about washing not just your hands on a regular basis, but your whole body. Yes. Um, which is fascinating because this is an era in which you know people did not bath. Yes. Like as in ever. Yeah. 
you know. I've got another tangent that I feel I could go on, but I ever. I feel like yeah. I feel <laughs> I feel like we. I could talk about this for a long time. I think. Okay. I could ask questions for days, but we wouldn't be on topic. No, that's um, okay. These are all good questions. We still need to finish out this passage we, because we do indeed. What Jesus does now is very, very interesting. His response, yes, to their accusation that he's like, you're like you're not keeping the traditions. You know, you're doing away with our traditions. And of course, you know, somebody who loves their traditions and loves their culture is going to be kind of sad when you know a great leader with tremendous influence comes along and suddenly starts to do away with traditions that they have held dear for a very, very long time. And so, you know, they're feeling pretty threatened by this. And so Jesus' response is super interesting. Anyway, this is a song called by the remnant called Tradition.
TV, take your Bible off the shelf, read the book of Revelation for yourself. Tribulation, we're all gonna be here. Tribulation, when that flaming star comes down. Tribulation, when the seven seals are broken and the seven vows are open and the seven trumpets sound. Welcome back, everybody. That was The Remnant with Tradition. We have an answer for our quiz. We Who's do our indeed. lucky winner today? Uh, Margie from Edsvold in Queensland answered correctly with Jericho, the town of Jericho. Congratulations. Uh, are we going to do another quiz? or we just do, keep, do you think we've got time? Uh, nah, let's skip it. All right, let's, uh, let's get back into our Bible study because we've got some really important things we need to talk Absolutely. about right now. Let's read uh, Mark chapter 6 and verse six. 6, 7 and 8. Okay, so verse 6 of chapter 7 in Mark. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honour me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Strong language. Yeah. Strong language. Okay, so here's what's interesting, because Jesus basically says that if your worship is teaching man-made ideas as commands of God... Your worship is in vain. It's a farce. Yeah. I missed verse 8. Verse 8 says, For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Okay. Okay. This, so, this, yeah. is, really, this is really important because it reveals to us, you know, and, and this is a trap that any one of us can fall into regardless of what faith community we belong to. When we teach human traditions as um, the commandments of God, the yep. Bible says that our worship is a farce. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, let's uh, look on a little bit hit further here. If you'd like to read for us uh, verse 9 and 10, please. Let's talk about Corbin. Okay. Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. Okay. So... Um, Let's talk about this 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 particular law here. The Bible says that um, you know ten, one of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. Yes, that your days may be long on the earth, which the Lord your God gives to you. That's a great commandment. It is the fifth commandment. It is a commandment that we should honor uh, in the days of Jesus. The way that the primary way in which this was honored was that you are basically the social security for your parents in their old age. You were your 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 your, your parents' um, old age pension. It was your responsibility to take care of them, regardless of whether they got sick or ill or otherwise. That was on you. Yes. I think one thing that's important to note is that while it is the fifth commandment in the order of commandments, it's the first commandment uh, after the the commandments that speak about God and, and how you look towards God. It's the first of the commandments that talks about how, you, how we relate to each other as yeah, human beings. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, within the, tradi- the Christian tradition. Yes. <laughs> because if you look at the Jewish tradition, they have three, and they put the fourth one as about relationships with each other, which is really, really interesting when you think about it, because the fourth one is all about social connectedness. Yeah. 
Ah, whereas we look at about it, you know, from our Christian perspective, we look at the fourth commandment as about, you know, our relationship with God, yeah. primarily our relationship with God, whereas within the Jewish community, they look at it as primarily about their relationship with each other. Interesting. That is very interesting. Anyway, um, that's, a, that's a side point for another day. Okay. Um, all right, the law of Corbin. Let's talk about the law of Corbin. Basically, yes. work like this. Let's say that you've got uh, parents. Let's say that they have needs. Let's say maybe they have become disabled, whatever it might be. And uh, you now need to expend your resources, your wealth, your goods, your products, whatever it might be, to take care of them. Yeah. Okay, so let's say that you have certain possessions that you really, really like. Um, and let's put it maybe in a modern context. Let's say that you've just bought yourself a brand new car and you absolutely love this brand new car and suddenly something happens and one or both of your parents are incapacitated and you need to provide for their medical expenses, you need to renovate their home so that they can now, you know, say maybe live in a wheelchair, whatever it might be, and you don't have the cash to be able to do so. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother. And so there is a requirement by God that you now sacrifice to take care of your parents. Absolutely, right? yeah. Okay, so um, so then in, in that circumstance, it would be you know a requirement by God that you sell your brand new car that you just bought yesterday and that you really, really love. So that you can afford to change their home, to put in ramps, to put in you know disabled um, bars in their bathroom, whatever it might be, uh, to buy them a wheelchair, to pay their medical expenses and so forth because they've just suddenly been incapacitated. But let's say that you don't want to sell your brand new car. This is where the law of Corbin comes in. What you, can, what you could do, according to the tradition of the elders, was you simply pronounce Corbin over that. Uh, particular object and it ceases to belong to you right it now belongs to the temple i see uh and so you could come to your parents and you could say well you know i'd really love to help you out right now um and i know that you know i've got a bit of responsibility here to fork out but i don't actually have any resources that i can help you out with um and they could like oh you've got a brand new car can't you sell a brand new car and and uh and and, and give us a hand to get set up it's like well actually no it doesn't belong to me um i've pronounced corbin over it it belongs to the temple Right. But the priests don't get to use it. It doesn't actually go to the temple. You get to use it for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's just like a pious way. And so basically what the the elders had done is they had created a legal loophole to get around one of the Ten Commandments. Mm. And, of course, there is no legal loophole to any of the Ten Commandments, but this is what they had created in an effort to be able to... Um, not have to keep the Ten Commandments. They One thing I do they, love—they wanted to be selfish, and so this was a way of being selfish. One thing I do love about the Ten Commandments is how straightforward they are. How oh, simply put, absolutely. You, you, there isn't really any way that you can, you know, mistranslate it unless you yourself replace words with, with the, legis- the legislation that runs this country. You couldn't fit into this office, no. Um, but the Constitution of the Government of God, you can teach a three-year-old to say it off by heart. We've got it in, I can hold it in my hand. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. Okay, so this is this is where tradition and um, and the Bible, particularly the commandments, conflict with each other. And Jesus was very, very clear. He's not against tradition per se. You know, there's lots of traditions like, yeah, it's a great tradition, whatever, go ahead and do it. Jesus is not against tradition per se. He is against tradition that does away in this case with the word of God or that replaces the word of God 
Um, and, you know, what does it say back there in verse 7? If you could read for us verse 7 again. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Okay, so here's the issue. It's when you teach a man-made idea as the commands of God. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to look at our own faith community, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever your faith community is, to find out, okay, whereabouts is it that you find man-made ideas that are taught as the Word of God? And what I often see coming through here is what I call the uh, the World War II Japanese soldier principle. This is something I invented. Okay. So this is my invention. Okay, so one of the challenges that uh, the Japanese army had, the Imperial Japanese army had, was they had a very, very well-trained force. But they had a culture in which... It was you know, kind of a culture of bravery and, and heroism and sacrifice. And within that culture, you could have somebody, anybody who called for what appeared to be on the surface the higher standard of bravery, courage, and heroism yep. could not be spoken against. Okay, so let me give you an example. You could have a, uh, a very strongly held um, allied position. Yeah. Um, either Australian or American, whatever it might be. And uh, you could have Japanese officers who would get together to come up with a strategy to take that position. And a junior officer would say, let's just charge it. And they could say nothing against him because they had proposed something that appeared to be higher. What we do is we propose something to be that appears to be higher than the Bible. It's actually not in the Bible, but we make it a tradition and it sounds more pious and therefore we turn our religion into a farce. This is uh, Ali Rogers with Ferris Lord Jesus.
our team here at Faith FM want to encourage you to share God's love with those around you, to stay positive and to stay connected in this virus season. Check on your neighbours, especially elderly neighbours, as they may be unable to visit the shops or see family due to quarantines. A note under the door or a letter in the mailbox works too if you want to maintain your distance. Little things like this make a huge difference to someone who might be struggling to get by. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Forgiveness. It's easier said than done. But there's a program called Forgive to Live, designed to help us all improve our lives and discover the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. Set you free 
back that was marion blythe peppers with search for me we have come down to question of the day (laughs) i'm loving that i don't know how much you're loving that but i'm absolutely loving that and what i'm going to do is i'm going to sort of i'm going to try and think of a jingle to put underneath that so that it plays and it's made even better and i love it even more so yeah but the question that we have for the question of the day is are you ready for this lyle i am is is sun worshipping somehow an extension of Zoroastrianism or is it the same? Okay, so Zoroastrianism is one of the world's oldest continuously practiced religions. Yep. Uh, there's about 120,000 people in the world today who continue to uh, practice the religion of Zoroastrianism. It uh, originated in Iran and is one of the four official religions of Iran. So Iran uh, recognizes... Um, Zoroastrianism, yep. Christianity, Islam, and I think it is Hinduism, but as the other one, I'm not sure. Um, but it has four official religions, and Zoroastrianism is one of them. Now, Zoroastrians worship a single uncreated God. Okay, so that would be familiar to us as Christians, so a yes. single uncreated God. So they are monotheists, who is called Ahura Mazda. Yes. Now, you might recognize that in relationship to the Mazda car company from Japan. And it's interesting that you have a Japanese car company that has a Persian name for its company. And when they chose that name, they chose it because Ahura Mazda was seen as the Persians as being the god of light. Yeah. And they wanted to brighten the image of their car company. And so they called, let's call it Mazda after Ahura Mazda, the Zoroastrian god. Um, that's the origin of it right there. Okay. So the word Ahura Mazda literally translate as Lord of Wisdom um, or Lord of Light. Now, there may be some connections, and there typically is connections with nearly all pagan religions. I shouldn't say there may be. There is connections to sun worship, but it is definitely not the origin of sun worship. Sun worship is far, far more ancient than Zoroastrianism, and aspects of sun worship that you do find within Zoroastrianism. In other words, we, you know, they, they worship fire and so forth, um, and you'll have you know temples of fire. And I've been to uh, one of those in Iran. It was a fascinating place to visit. Uh, Temple of Fire. Um, How much fire was there? None. It was um, a very, very ancient temple that had been excavated out of the ground. But it was one of the best ruins. You know, just one. Of, you know, you get some ruins that's like, yeah, there's just a pile of rocks, and they say, oh, yeah, this pile of rocks over here was such and such and such. And like, yeah, okay, maybe. Whereas this one was actually a really, really impressive temple, like super impressive. Um, so the um, there are there is crossover, but sun worship goes all the way back to Nimrod, um, who appears just after the flood. He's a great grandson of Noah, and uh, of course Nimrod set up the first great religion in rebellion against God. This is where it all started. He was somebody who knew God. Um, he knew the power of God. He was not an atheist, but he said, "You know what." I'm going to choose an alternative to God. I'm going to worship Satan. 
And so he, you know, this is where this is this is one of the reasons why, when you look at uh, our world today, there are a number of you know aspects of worship that are universal. The worship of the sun is universal across the entire world. Uh, the worship of the snake is the serpent is universal across the entire world. You go anywhere on the planet, you're going to find the worship of those two things. And it all goes back to Nimrod way back there. And of course, Zoroastrianism, you know, that comes in around the second century BC. Um, it does trace its roots back to the um, early Achaemenid dynasty. There are mentions of it, but it becomes strong about the 2nd century BC, and so it's nothing like as uh, old as sun worship itself. It, um, it, it, sun worship predates it. And, of course, sun worship is one of those things that you know, we still find coming through even within aspects of Christianity today. Um, has worked its way across into the fact that you know most Christians worship on what is called the Venerable Day of the Sun, was or Dia Solus, uh, to the ancients, and this practice actually comes from Persia as well. There is considerable crossover between Zoroastrianism and Mithraism. They're both Persian religions, and Mithra was the predominant cult in Rome at the time of the rise of Christianity, and so a lot of Mithra worked its way into Christianity. And so you've got that Persian influence, you've got that Zoroastrian influence uh, coming into Christianity through Mithras. That's a bit of a brief rundown on a bit of Zoroastrian history right there. This is Scott Reed with Who He Is.
You're listening to Scott Reed with Who He Is. This is The Breakfast Show and we've come to the end of The Breakfast Show, which is super sad we for us. Indeed. We love you guys. We're we going to miss do. you guys until tomorrow morning. So do join us every morning uh, each, each weekday here on The Breakfast Show. But right now... Uh, we have something to give away for free. We simply goes through to the first call do. of food. We've um, I've done a, we've done a couple of these books recently. It's all part of a series. This is part of the God Said It series, and yes. this particular one is the life of Moses. This is the third book in the series. It's by Bradley Booth, and the whole series is introducing children to the Bible. And this book. Um, being the life of Moses, obviously talks about Moses and everything that happens uh, in his life from his birth uh, and to you know leading the Israelites. Uh, also, when he was a prince, the whole the whole lot. He um, yeah, it, it goes into that in a way that makes it fun and, and relating, uh, easy for children to to, to read. Fantastic. Okay, coming up next, uh, we're going to have uh, Talks with Disciples with Nick Creta, who will be following us here on The Breakfast Show. And we also want to remind you that every Saturday morning between 9.30 and 10.30 during the uh, coronavirus lockdown, there will be small group interactive live Bible study, Matt Parra and myself right here on The Breakfast Show. So make sure that you tune in, give us a call, join in the discussion and be part of the show. But right now, don't forget, as you go throughout this day to talk faith, live faith, act faith. And as you do so, you will grow strong in Jesus Christ.
Even I 